Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, the the whiskey wizard himself, the dear uh, Jason Neil Johnston Yellen. Yak and danda, mate. <laughs> wow. I don't know if you've just upset everybody in Australia right now. You think you did? I wondered. I wondered about yeah. that. I did. I wondered about that. I thought, should I do this? And I thought, you know, those people of Australia who are now going out and about doing their business in a post-pandemic world, mm-hmm. I thought, they can handle this. They've clearly handled everything else thrown at them. You think throwing, you know, it, muttering words such as mate and, and Barbies and, and shrimp... You think that's just pandering? Uh, yeah, I, you think that's <laughs> pandering to the Australians and <laughs> pandering to upset them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, today's guest is is the one and only, and back for a second time, uh, Dave Broom. But he is. We came out came out the gate throwing Australia around here. You know, just indeed. Willy-nilly. Indeed. Seemingly. Nothing we do is willy-nilly, Joshua. Everything we do is carefully planned, just (laughs) down to the to the minutia. Mm -hmm. And so we've been we've been sitting on on a bottle that we acquired from a previous guest of ours. We we have been, and it's been painful sitting on this bottle. Because we've been we've had it for a few weeks, and that hurts the uh, the derriere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. I was not that kind. No of matter story. how often we do this, I did not see that coming. How did coming. you not and see that coming? How did you? And here we are. <laughs> and so yes, uh, our our good good friend Lee Atwood of the Backwoods Distilling Company. In, as I led off the episode, Yakandanda. Yakandanda. Ah, such a great... I would... I have seriously looked at moving to Yakandanda so that I can say I live in Yakandanda. Just, it's an amazing word. It's a great word, but it sounds like a word you would say while drunk. Like, it sounds like a word you're trying to say something else. Kind of like Inagata de Vida was meant to be in the Garden of Eden, but the singer was so drunk, all he could say was Inagata de Vida, right? So it makes me wonder if Yakandanda actually was something else, but you know the the the, the town drunk said it a certain way, and 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 that's how it's been ever since. My, my guess is it probably comes from the Aborigine, and so now you've offended. Uh, all oh, those shit. Aborigines who listen to God One Nation Under Whiskey. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, you, you drunk Aborigines unable to speak English as as Joshua speaks. Um, they should be if, happy if they don't going- speak it like I speak it. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that we've, we're bringing up Lee Atwood and Backwoods Distilling Company is twofold. A... He just put out uh, in Instagram and other social media places that uh, he's officially left his career of, of, of teaching, of teaching Indeed. Um, Australia's youths 
uh, <laughs> to now creating whiskey for Australia's youths to eventually be drinking. So he is a full-time distiller now. It's remarkable, and, and definitely cheers to him on that one. Uh, and, and we're cheersing, we're toasting to Lee with his own whiskey. He sent us a bottle mm-hmm. of his rye whiskey, batch number one, matured exclusively in uh, Shiraz, Shiraz Wine Barrique. I assume it's a barrique. And, and we just opened these bottles at the start of this episode. I'm tasting this literally for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's just got this wonderful baking chocolate note to it. It's actually interesting. Mm. It's not just baking chocolate. There's a milk chocolate meets baking chocolate. couple of notes happening in here. Mm. Oh, wow. That's nice. The f- first things first, I looked at the glass. Great oils yep. building on the edge of the glass. Well, we're sitting here at 46% alcohol. Mm. Great, great accessible entry strength on it. Really, that 46 for me really tamps down the rye spice as well. And I've got the chocolatey quality. Obviously, we've got the Shiraz, uh, yeah. you know, that, that influence of the grape in here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I first poured it, I, I did get a little nervous because I did smell some of that, that malted rye component in here, but w- which you know, you know, I'm normally a bit adverse to. However, I would almost compare it to, there's a pleasantness about it. And I would almost compare it to some Scotch whiskeys where we get that gentle struck match note way in the distance that just adds to the whole experience. This is that malted rye component, but again, in the distance, adding to the overall experience. And and I was sipping it just as you were talking about milk chocolate and, and, and baker's chocolate. And, oh, my gosh, those notes were so, so very spot on. The mouthfeel is fantastic, too. I, and I, Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the mouthfeel. I was, I was going to say, in, in relation to something we've been talking about in Extra Extra, the front label says approximately 18 standard drinks. Hmm. And it's it's handwritten. The eighteen is is handwritten. Um, that's that's that little nod, right? Mm. Now we were saying that in one of our extra extras, where you know, don't don't tell me units, right? <laughs> like just just tell me oh, how many drinks would it be, and yeah, if it was a full bottle, yeah. what would be in the full bottle, right? I can, yeah. I'm a grown up. I can I can deal with that, right? Now, and if I should have one standard drink a day. Okay, now I know I've got 18 standard drinks going on in my, mm. in my backwoods distilling here. Um, oh, I get a, just a, a little bready as I return my nose, nose to it. Right, yeah, on the nose. Yeah, just a little bready in there. And on the finish, without it being overly sweet, because this is not an overly sweet dram. I did get a bit concerned with the wine cask that it could add some, some additional sweetness that might potentially be too much for my own palate, but it's not at all, at all. In the finish, I get this yuzu flavor without the overbearing yuzu sweetness. Are you familiar with yuzu? No, tell us what that is. So yuzu, it's it's in the citrus family. It's a, basically a, a Japanese orange, you, you know, it was a, a, a breed of orange 
created by you know mixing a few different varieties and and there you go and that's and that's the Japanese orange yuzu and you can get um like yuzu jam at at a good like international food shop it's got that flavor without the overbearing sweetness it's funny that you should say that because every year around this time i'll be gifted a terry's chocolate orange ah, and yeah. And I, I love them. But it's got that kind of orange oil, mm. that orange mm-hmm. essence that runs through either the milk chocolate or the dark chocolate, depending on which one you buy. And I was just sitting here thinking, I've got a little bit of Terry's chocolate orange happening on there my palate. Go. There you go. And so your description of the uzu? Yuzu. Yuzu. Y-U-Z-U. Not Uzi. Not Ari. Not Uzi or Ari Tenenbaum from the Royal Tenenbaums. But Yuzu the fruit Ozzy it's also a good listener of ours it's not Ozzy Aussie yeah that's what it is Aussie Aussie jam Um, now we're with you (laughs) really uh, this (laughs) this is a great little sip and whiskey my my hats if I could fit a hat over this big afro that I have uh, I would be (laughs) taking it off and or tipping it to Lee and and family on this one because this is a fine little whiskey it is. That's really tasty. I'll be enjoying this over the festive season. Oh my I'll be gosh. dipping into this. Oh, Jason, can I tell you? Oh, my gosh. So last night, you know, normally I make your, your latka recipe, which can be found mm-hmm. in Vegetarian Times. If you just go Vegetarian Times latkes, do a search for that, you'll find Jason's latka recipe. Keep in mind, dear listener, that Vegetarian Times removed a key component, a key ingredient, and that's your whole grain or whole seed mustard. But that's what I like. So I've been making that, but last night I made my sweet potato ginger latkes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. This whiskey would go so freaking well with that ginger spice, that yeah, delicate yeah, yeah. sweetness from the potato. Oh my gosh. Night eight, here I come. That's that's the last night we're doing lot because it's night eight. So <laughs> I was thinking we probably need to get in the new year, we need to get Lee back on mm. One Nation Under Whiskey mm-hmm. for a, a big update because I, I don't know if you've been following their social media, Joshua. My guess is you have, because you're you're very good at social I'm media. Very good at it. But have you seen the new facility they're developing? I have. It's really impressive. It's really impressive. <laughs> it's remarkable. And so I'd, I'd love to get Lee back on and, and talk about that facility as well. It's holy moly. can only imagine what that looks like. The, the, the final quitting of the job, you know, when we spoke to him, he was still a school teacher. And that's changed for him. There's a lot of developments there in that story. It'd be lovely to catch up with them. And, and even now, Share a dram with them. I think last time we maybe had some samples. Mm. Uh, maybe you had a couple of samples. I don't think they'd made it down to me because we know that you're notoriously terrible at getting samples out. Uh, I don't remember. But I thoroughly enjoyed your description of the samples that you were enjoying that last time we interviewed. Why, yeah, why would you even need to taste anything when my descriptors... Yeah, I don't, Joshua. That's the, I, that's the honest truth of the matter. I've been told my descriptors are... Bring fleek. all the boys to the yard. They're on fleek. Ah, Kids say uh, that. They, no. No, I, no. 
They, they bring all the boys to the yard. That's what your descriptors <laughs> do. Uh, yeah, but however, because of COVID measures, we can only bring up to six boys to the yard, and they have to be they have to keep at least a six foot distance. That's uh, very sensible. Are they masked? Uh, yeah, latex ma- masks. Is this thing still on? As we're <laughs> as we are discussing down there. Our, our wonderful friend Cameron Taylor, very, very kind chap, uh, Discovering Drams, based in New Zealand, sent us a card, covered it in the last episode of One Nation Under Whiskey. Given the level to which you butchered the Maori greeting that he had written the card, oh, he right. went out of his way to send in a voice recording to, to our One Nation Under Whiskey Instagram account. Mm-hmm. And and if technology will allow it, mm-hmm. I would love for our listeners to hear Cameron's presentation of that Maori greeting right here. Well, you know what? I will ensure technology allows it because, Jason, for you, for the listeners, for me, here it is. Now, also, you weren't to know, but uh, in, uh, the Maori people speak the Maori language, um, so Jason was spot on there, and the WH makes a F sound. So to, to get it right for next time, Kiora ite fano. Um, long life, and, and to you, my family. Thanks, brother. Listening back to what Cameron had, had recorded for us, it's uh-huh. clear that I have no right even trying, even, even dipping my toe into pronouncing the greeting because, you know, I, I, tip, in typical American style, I just destroyed it. So my apologies. I will, I'll, th- I'll throw you a bone here, though. Like, we don't get a lot of opportunities to practice Maori. In in the northern hemisphere, yeah. or the United States, or in the eastern United yeah. States, but I, I've got a feeling, Joshua, that way back in your youth, your mother or a teacher took you aside and said, "God loves a trier," because I feel like that is your credo. That you and, and, and I, I say this with nothing but love in my heart. <laughs> Uh-huh. You're not afraid to try. Well, and, and and if I was to say that a little more negatively, you're not afraid to fail. And you know, you you grab opportunities with both hands and and really, really fuck them up. Well you know who told me? You know who pulled me to the side to to say that? It was actually uh Maori Povich did that. <laughs> Oh my word! Oh, had that one in the chamber. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Jason. Oh, hold on. Before yes. we introduce uh, our conversation with with the wonderful Dave Broom, and and it was so nice going back to that conversation and 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 editing it and and just reliving it because it was a wonderful experience being with him again. It's always wonderful being with Dave Broom, right? But absolutely, yeah. I have been, I keep going back to this rye and mm-hmm. 
what's, what I find so very interesting, and maybe it's the way that I approached the whiskey, I'm only discovering the, the fruitiness of the Shiraz cask now after maybe four or five sips in. I, I don't know if I was looking for grain first, looking for oak second, and then looking for what was held in that oak cask previously. I, I, I don't know what my brain was trying to do, but all of a sudden that Shiraz is coming out and it's gorgeous. It sits so beautifully. Yeah. It fits, not sits, it fits so beautifully with this whiskey. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting with this nice cherry juiciness yeah. to the back of my throat. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We said, we said it when we first pulled it out. What a great little sipping whiskey. And I think we're just sitting here sipping quite happily on it. And, and you finally, finally, you could see the potential with this whiskey. I think this whiskey was perfect for, it was ready, ready to put in bottle. It's a great experience, but you can also see that given a bit more time, this can evolve into something really quite nice because as we talked about in our, uh, in our conversation with Lee in the episode we recorded last year or whenever it was, the new make was solid. It was really mm-hmm. well constructed new make that that surely can can evolve quite nicely in cask. So excited, man! Yeah, really, really wonderful. Yeah, cheers to Lee and and looking forward to talking with you again in the new year. Yeah. We won't have to work around his teaching schedule. That is very true. That is very true. We will have to work around his distilling and building schedule, though. There is that. Different challenges, but I'm sure, assuming, assuming slash hoping he wants to speak with us again, we will. <laughs> We're just making an assumption that he would say yes. He may say, eh. but. Uh, yeah. Been there, guys. Yeah, Done. Yeah. As we turn our attention to Dave Broom, Dave was incredibly generous with his time. And as we approached that conversation with Dave, Oftentimes, you and I'll, obviously, we've mentioned it many, many, many times on the podcast, we don't conduct research ahead of our interviews. We just like to sit down and say, hey, how are you doing? Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your Mm -hmm. job. And I'm I'm thinking to recently talking to Stephanie McLeod with Dewars, Mm -hmm. that was just, uh, you know, give us a sense of, of what it looks like to be you. Uh, when we talk to Caroline, you know, g- give us a sense yeah. of of what it is you're up to, you know, within the company. When it comes to Dave, we just sat down and we had that little chat with him, and it was whatever came to mind, whatever felt right in the moment. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, hey, what, what you been up to? And one of the remarkable things was actually framing the conversation around this. Pre- Posterous 2020, <laughs> right? This this year through which we have all lived and done our best and and tried to survive and and you know my thoughts go out to to those who have been affected and, and lost family members and and lost friends. But but here we are. We're in December. We're we're in the home straight with 2020, mm-hmm. and and things aren't miraculously going to improve or change January 1 of 2021. Uh, We're in this for the long haul. But it was so fascinating 
getting to talk to Dave about his experience with the very early pandemic mm. of of being trapped in a country that's not your own yeah. and unsure of how you're going to get back to the country that is your own. Just a, a remarkable thing to live through where, where you and I, I think, were fortunate in looking back where you were at home, I was at home. We weren't, you know... We weren't overseas. We we and I did have friends uh, who were in the UK when the travel ban came down, and it was okay. There's no longer flights coming into the United States, and they were kind of like, "But we live in the United yeah, what States. Do we, do now? Uh-huh. we have to get home." And so you you and I were home, and it could have looked very very different for us. And listening to Dave and how he started out this chat really made me feel appreciative of just how lucky we were at the start of lockdown, a response to the pandemic, a dealing with the pandemic. Call it what you will here in America. Well, yeah. Think about what we had plans. We were meant to be overseas at the very beginning of April. So just, you know, early-ish to mid-March as all of these things were ramping up and shutting down you know, we, we made the correct decision to to cancel our trip. Had we not canceled the trip and had we still been able to make that flight over, I do fear that we would have been stuck uh, on the other side of the pond for some time. Indeed. 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 Um, so in, in, instead of us doing what we normally do, which is we, we try to place some signposts for, for the listener to pay attention to as they go through the interview. Given the way in which we just dipped in and out of this conversation with Dave, I recommend we just we just hit play on the interview and let our, our listeners encounter that interview the way we recorded it. I'm cool with that, man. Yeah, here he is, the, the inimitable, the wonderful, the generous with his time, Dave Broom. Dave, thanks for joining us. You, I was thinking about this this morning, are in... Now, I know that you are a master of the quake, which is which is rarefied air, right? <laughs> You've left your, your, just your keeper status behind. you become a master. In the world of One Nation Under Whiskey, you're also in rarefied air for a two-time guest. We've... We've got Mark Watt, we've got David Stark, and I want to say we've got Ollie Chilton. And James Wills, who I think lives in One Nation Under Whiskey, to be honest. Uh, we've interviewed him that many times. And so so welcome to the world of, of the two-timer, Dave well, Broome. Th- thank you very much. It's the nicest two-timing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some things you can get away with. Um so, so a very open-ended question to get us started here. 2020, what the fuck is that about? <sighs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, it, it's the year that you just want to forget. <laughs> you know, this just did not happen. I'm going to wake up on the 1st of January and go, that was a weird dream. Yeah. <sighs> it's been a challenging, challenging year. For, for a chap like yourself who's out and about and and meeting up with people constantly and, and country hopping, 
what what have you been able to do and what have you not been doing that's that's really cut you to your click? Uh, well, I've not been travelling, to be honest, you know. Uh, it started off because uh, we were stranded in New Zealand for seven weeks. Seven weeks, yeah. Oh, wow. At the beginning of the year. Uh, I was over there for a whiskey festival and basically we got stuck. Uh, so, yeah, that was lockdown number one. <clears throat> By the time we came back here, UK was in lockdown. So went all the way through through all of that. Uh, then end of August, beginning of September, things were easing a little bit here and I began to pick up a book project which I was meant to have finished by then. But then that that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, so we weren't going to be able to get all of that finished. Uh, so that was kind of then put on ice and now we're back in lockdown again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jeez. The circle of life plays at this point. Uh, That's so, my year. So, so which, which month was it that you were that you were stuck in New Zealand? Was that we, still March or was it earlier than that? Later? No. Than that? Well, we we flew out to Melbourne on twenty sixth, I think, of February, and then a very familiar date. Yeah. <laughs> then we went. Uh, I was there with my family, and then we went over to Dramfest, which was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Monday, the holiday started, and on the Monday, I got a text from the Australian uh, authorities saying I'd been in contact with somebody who'd come down with COVID in Melbourne, therefore I had to go straight into uh, 14 days of isolation. Oh, wow. Uh, Which actually meant I I had six hours holiday. (laughs) 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 But then as, as a result of that, Chaos ensued and flights were cancelled and we couldn't get back home. So, anyway, wow, yeah, right, okay. And so, (laughs) and so then you had seven weeks of that. So, a two week quarantine turned into Mm -hmm. seven weeks, yeah, just because you couldn't get out of the country, you you literally couldn't go anywhere, couldn't get out of the country. Uh, we we were due to fly back to Australia to get the connecting flight. That's a really boring story. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, but then, I'm absolutely fascinated. For as much as we travel, Dave, this is yeah. fascinating. The, 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 the Australians had then imposed their own uh, restrictions. Mm. And because it wasn't a connecting flight, we would have had to have gone through customs, gone back in. And we wouldn't have been able to do that because as soon as we landed in Australia, we would have had to have gone into 14 days isolation. Uh. Uh-huh. So Australia would suddenly it was out of the equation. So we had to buy another ticket from New Zealand to Hong Kong, uh, then back home. And ah, when okay. we got to Auckland uh, that very night to get the connecting flight the next day, uh, Hong Kong closed its borders. And New Zealand went into level four, which was total lockdown yeah, yeah. Uh, the day after. Wow. So we scarpered back to Christchurch and... Stayed there. So I, I'd imagine as a guy who's out and about, you know, tra- traveling. I can world, laugh I, now. I, I know, right? That's that's what I was going to ask you. G- given that I'm sure you've you've dealt with all sorts of travel situations, what was it like charting, you know, this this unknown territory? And and you've mentioned a couple of times traveling with your family, hmm. where 
were they looking to you as the seasoned traveller, the voice of reason? Are you normally a, a level-headed guy when the shit hits the fan? Were you less level-headed, more level-headed? Like just, my, and I'm honestly, I'm just asking this question as a dad. What, what yeah. was it like? Yeah, my, my, my family never really consider I'm the voice of reason. Uh, <laughs> Let's be very right. but, clear here, but, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just felt so responsible for, for kind of putting them in danger. Yeah. You know, because... Yep. We, we knew we were safe. Uh, New Zealand, was, they were absolutely brilliant. They can control all of that. They're, they're used to dealing with earthquakes and, you know, that dreadful terrorist, you know, attack and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. They, they know how to deal with crisis. So we, did, we never felt at risk, but you just didn't know when you were going to get home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every day we'd just be this continual phoning up, not getting through to airlines, getting rebuffed by airlines. Mm-hmm. So it was just it's groundhog day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just wears you down. You know, uh-huh. you know, psychologically, mentally it just wears you down. Uh, because we, we didn't know what things were going to be like. You know, the twelve hour time difference doesn't help either. Yeah. So oh, wow. yeah. yeah. You know, and, and and my wife's parents are, are elderly. They were in lockdown, so we were trying to organise their lives when we're halfway across the world. So, you know, there was all all this other, you know, shite is suddenly appeared. If I'd been there on my own, uh, I don't know, I, I, I would have found a way to get by. But, you know, you do feel responsible because I, I, I'd invited them out mm. for mm-hmm. the perfect holiday, you know. <laughs> so. What a bastard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jeez. You know, I I hear what you're saying. I I know that when I'm out there by myself, traveling around, you you do fill in the gaps however necessary. Mm -hmm. My my number one most important job when I'm out traveling the world and shit's hitting the fan, my number one job is keeping my wife informed at home. Mm -hmm. That's it. If I can check that box, the the rest of it falls into place. Mm -hmm. If I'm out with my wife and my kids and it starts to go sideways oh it's not good it's not good and, and I, I can't imagine being halfway around the world and and simply not knowing when you're getting home it, yeah. even just talking about it, it chills me to my core and hmm. so kudos for living through it and surviving it and by all accounts still having a family Yes, yeah, you know, they're upstairs at the moment. They still talk to me occasionally. I tough my cap to you. Um, so, so, so moving away from that a little, a little bit, you talked there about projects, you know, for, for you, 2020 projects going sideways. I, I've seen through the, 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 the magic of social medias that there was a project that involved you travelling that... It seemed to be a, a tour of sorts that mm. had mm. you meeting people along the way. Yeah. Am I right in saying some of that came back again before yeah, yeah. it went away again? Yeah, I'm working but, on a yeah, I'm working on a book called Sense of Place. Uh, Sense so of place. I did a book about Japanese whiskey a couple of years back, which is looking at what makes Japanese whiskey Japanese and how kind of Japanese aesthetic of craft. Mm-hmm. Mm, can be mm-hmm. transported across in, into their approach to making whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to do something similar in Scotland, not identical, but actually looking at 
it's not this terroir thing, but it's about a sense of it's a sense of place, sense of belonging. It's about community. It's as it transpires about what is happening in whiskey at the moment. Uh, it's so yeah, with with a wonderful photographer as well, Christina Kernahan. And so Christina and I were due to be going up, going around Scotland to a number of distilleries and pulling all this together. And we managed to do a little bit of it, but then it was just proving to be too difficult. People can commit, quite rightly, mm. like people mm-hmm. can commit to, to dates and visits and access to distilleries and access to people. So we managed to get, I don't know, a third of it done. Uh, and then okay. just went, right, forget it. We'll put it on ice and pick it up in March because the light's going to be better, and, which is quite important for photos. Indeed. Uh, so, but you know, it's given it's given me a chance to kind of formulate the the ideas behind it and do m- more reading and much more reading. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the, the book list just gets higher and higher. So, I, I the advantage of it is, I think I've got a clearer idea of how the book is going to progress. So, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. But you, nothing till March. Yeah, you're confident that the March... I'm using confident. I don't know if I'm using this lightly or too tightly here. But it, March 2021, you think, will will be an unfurling of, of some of the issues we've lived through in 2020? No, I, I'm only saying that basically because I don't think we could start restart it prior to that because of the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I'm also thinking about where we need to go in Scotland. We should be able to find ways around to talk to the right people and, and do what we need to do. It won't be as ideal as it was. It was going to be a great road trip and blah blah. Mm. But you know, the the part of the narrative of the book is now going to be how, how to write a book during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> and but. You know, we've got the West Coast stuff done, so... In terms of the, the planning of a book, it's something we, we didn't touch on the last time we spoke. Um, in terms of charting that narrative for a book that you're sitting down, clearly in reading your work, you conduct your research, and, and you're not afraid of research, and I really like that about you. As two guys who run a podcast with literally no research going on behind it. Um <laughs> As as you're as you're charting that path, what is your plan for writing a book? How much of it do you map, and how much of it do you know, and how much of it is I've done all this research? I'm going to start writing, and I'm going to let the narrative come to me. I have a frame, Guinness. You know, so, so I, I kind of know where I want to end up, and I have an idea. Otherwise, you can't really go to a publisher going, "I've got an idea for a book. What is it?" Well, I don't really know. You know, <laughs> oh, <those> nice pictures. <laughs> Come on, you're deep. Yeah, so, yeah, you have to have an idea in your mind. But I always speak to my publisher, who I've worked with for years, and say, you know that this will change. Mm. You know, as I begin to get into it, as I get into the research, it's going to take me off down other paths and some bits will be cut and I'll move it over here. And by the time you... The whole idea of doing it as a... As a road trip was we're we're starting in Orkney and we're finishing on Isla, yeah. So it's kind of north to south. Yeah. We're starting with bear. We're finishing with bear being harvested. Ideally, mm. that's not okay. going to happen. Mm. So, 
you know. So, so you've got to find it. You've got to find a way around that. But as soon as you begin to talk to people, uh, and it's not just distillers because it's also talking to craftspeople, weavers, or you know, perfumers, etc. There, the non-whiskey people's approach to things is quite often for me the spark that then begins to either introduce new ideas or begins to link themes mm. or introduce new themes. So, mm. yeah, it's it's an ever-evolving thing. <laughs> and and, and it, it, it sounds a bit vague, but it, the way that I worked it out with the Japanese book was I had a very f- fixed idea about what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But within the first, I don't know, week of doing the big trip around Japan, I realised that the book was the road trip. So... I just took comprehensive notes, and I, you know, I didn't write up all the interviews, but I wrote all the almost interlinking ideas. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the trip, I, I essentially had the the skeleton of the book. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. You know, I'm I'm kind of writing the linking bits of what mm. we've got, and working out how the story develops. For I think it's developing in a slightly different way to what I originally intended, which sounds kind of vague, but get you up, know, that's the way I work. Um, for this book, I, I, you know, you know, yeah. If I'm doing, the, I'm then going on to a complete re- rewrite of the atlas, and that's going to be much more structured because I have that's Scotland, that's North America, that's mm-hmm. etc. So that's a much more structured. This is by its nature more fluid. Oh boy! See that this is what we ran into the last time I spoke to you. I've literally got hundreds of questions <laughs> formulating in my head, uh, and I'm trying to work out I have, how to ask. Them I have one. Them. So, yes, so if you want yes, to. Joshua. You want to formulate your questions? I'll ask mine, and then yeah. I've got two that are pertinent to what we just, <laughs> what was just said there. You do you. I remember this last time. You never got a word. I never got a word. This is exactly. I'll just be in the other room. I tell you that. <laughs> I will say this quickly. We we did have our very good friends, uh, Sweet Scott and and Jess Lomas, after listening to the episode, say, "Wow, Jason, we've listened to every one of your interviews." You have never fanboyed harder than you did with Dave Broom, and uh, and I and I said to them, I think I said that in the interview as well. So, uh, but can, can, I'll just very quickly ask these two, Joshua, and then I'll give you space, and then we'll you then do we can you, you do you here. Yeah. So I so I read interviews with writers who will say, writing is really difficult. I love being a writer, and and in a sense, I love writing when it's done, but in my day to day. I'm, I have my hours where I sit at my desk and I must write. Even if I write a thousand words of garbage or 50 words of garbage, mm. I have to write. What's your process there? Are, are, you, are you clocking in, sitting at the desk? Or are you coming to the desk as the mood takes you? Some, something else entirely. No, no, I think you've got to be, you've got to be disciplined. I have to discipline because I'm working on my own. I'm working in my house. It's quite easy just to... Switch on the telly. Mm. Uh, so I get up early. I write much better in the morning than I do in the evening. So I'll get up early, 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 go out for a walk because we're down by the sea and mm-hmm. there's not too many people sweating on you uh, at early times in, early in the morning. So uh, and then I'll get back and I'll start if I can. But it's been tough, you know, and it's funny, I was talking to some fellow scribes and everybody has had these points of absolute writer's block 
They give them mm. so much other stuff mm. on there, it's really hard to concentrate. So mm. I can do a lot of research, but actually I find, I've been finding it hard to kind of sit down and go, right, I need to do a piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's fine now, mm. but it's, it's just kind of come and gone. I thought it was just me, but there's a whole number of folk who are kind of suffering the same. Interesting. It's nothing, and it's nothing compared to what folk are running bars and restaurants are going through, or yeah. doctors and nurses and etc. Sure, but you sure. know that that's sure. that's my reality. Also, sure. there's the advantage is that there's fuck all work at work at the moment, so, so, <laughs> so <laughs> nobody's missing it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there's, this is good. There's, I've got more questions based off of that. Joshua, I, I promised I would let you get a word in edgewise. Well, I, I do apologize for hogging the conversation. I appreciate this one time. Um, you'd, you'd mentioned <laughs> before that you, you'd look to take some inspiration from non-whiskey people. And I wonder if you can give an example of how that, that's helped you kind of take a new direction with some of your writing or helped inform some of your writing? Yeah, I, I, one of the big themes, I suppose, uh, that's kind of been kicking about in my writing for, for the past few years is to try and move people away from this idea that whiskey sits apart from everyday life, mm. whereas it's part and parcel of our community and it's made by real people and it's made in a real place. So it's it's a cultural it's a cultural product. Yeah. And to begin to place whiskey within that milieu, if you want, mm-hmm. very nice. It, it yeah, it, I think yeah. It's important to then speak to people who are approaching their own art and in, in a similar way to try and find connections, to try and find parallels, if not direct connections. Mm. Uh, if you're being pretentious, maybe some metaphors or something, but it's good to step back and step away from whiskey and actually say, right, big picture. You know, how does whiskey fit into this thing called Scotland? Mm. Because it's not part, it's not separate. It's not separate to Scotland. And if it's part of Scotland, how does it fit into this weird country? Uh, and I think only by speaking to people who are not whiskey people, distillers, blenders, whoever, you begin to get an idea of how to write about it and how to talk about it in a slightly different way. Mm. So meeting Donald John Mackay, who's a weaver in Harris, uh, Luskindire Beach, uh, and hearing him talking about growing up there, about where he's getting his inspirations from, just gazing out the window and looking at the colours on the beach and the colours and sky and yeah. the moorland etc uh, and to get that idea of, of the creative process mm-hmm. through through that also this idea of weaving and warps and wefts and stuff that, that, that that's that's quite intriguing to me or going around uh, Razi yeah. with with uh, Cuddy uh, this old guy's a farmer on Razi okay. talking about Gaelic you know, and talking about place names and talking about the loss of a history, mm. uh, the, the loss of population, and how that impacts on on society, on a concept of place, mm-hmm. uh, of identity, etc. Suddenly, it becomes deeper because whiskey's part of that. Yeah, sure. Whiskey's story is part of that, and whiskey's story in terms of Gallic communities is something that really hasn't been talked about. So. 
there's another angle that just suddenly blossoms. That's fantastic. You know? uh, so it's yeah, it, you're getting it, getting it from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. When you when you first started explaining the idea of the book, I was thinking back to our first conversation where we were, where Jason was trying to wrap his head around Japanese whiskey and the flavors from Japanese whiskey. And, and the discussion was basically that you almost need to have gone to Japan to fully understand that, that sense of place, right? That, you know, it, it's, it smells like a, like a Buddhist temple, right? Or, or you get these other scents. And, and initially, when you were talking about this, I was thinking, okay, he's going down, down that route, but it seems to be far deeper, Far deeper than yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, it's becoming far deeper, and I think the whole place name thing is important. I mean, speaking to a uh, Gaelic writer friend of mine called uh, Callum McLean, who lives in Sky, and I remember speaking to him about about place names and saying, "You know, can you actually understand this landscape unless you have Gaelic?" Mm. Uh, and he went, "Actually, no, because you know, there's a reason that, that mountain is called that. There's a reason that that burn is called that, uh, and that." ties into myth and it ties into the use of land etc etc and as soon as you lose that connection then you know what happens you know does it disappear completely does something just get placed on top of it uh, so that's important and I, I think that's that, that's a vitally important area yeah. and it, it actually the, the one part of it the one part of the book that's has proved the most difficult is Speyside and, and trying to find this idea of community and what a kind of new space side is is about uh i think i find a way to get around it uh but it's quite interesting because you know you go to the northeast you go to any other part of scotland there's lots of new distilleries starting up there's lots of real great innovations taking place there's a lot of community distilleries uh you know and remote communities especially what's happening in razi what's happening in harris and torveig ardna murkin mcnean etc sure. but in the in the big established parts you know, everything is there. You know, is there is there much point in building a new distillery in Speyside? Probably not. Uh, mm. So how and does the sense of identity of place change in Speyside and how do you then articulate it? So, but I think I've found a way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what seven months in lockdown will do to you. <laughs> Yeah, you go mad. Right. You grow a big beard and go mad. <laughs> All right, Jason. I I have asked my question. I will let because I know you've got a, a hundred others. That was an excellent question. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Notice he didn't say that about yours, Jason. But he never says that about mine. No. Yeah. What I lack in quality, I make up in quantity. <laughs> Okay, so so pivoting onto what I thought was kind of a, a big deal out of out of twenty twenty was the the whiskey show, the the mm. virtual whiskey show with the whiskey exchange, and and you and Don did incredible, pardon, and Billy, and Billy, and Billy, and Billy, um, you you did incredible work that week. Thank you. Was that a moment when you wondered if you would ever get home? I know you were home. I know you were recording from home, but it felt like every hour of the day you were on my you were on my laptop, and it was fantastic. Yeah. I could just 
I could just yeah, tune it, in, see what you were up to. It, it was more tiring than we all thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it did start with Dora and I having conversations. She went, oh, probably should have a, a online adjunct to to the actual show, and then obviously the cancellation. Mm. All right, we'll do we'll do a few classes, and then a few more. And any ideas? Yeah, here's some more ideas. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. It was all the stuff that we had wanted to do for the past four or five years, mm. which we were prevented to do because of architecture. Mm. You, know, you know, you can only have two seminar rooms, maybe three seminar mm-hmm. rooms, and you only have a certain amount of time. Therefore, you can only do X number of masterclasses. Whereas now, mm-hmm. you can do as many as you want, mm-hmm. and you can have yeah. them running simultaneously and... You know, all you can have all these different streams going on, so it allowed us to do an awful lot of stuff that we simply wanted to do, and be self-indulgent because we just wanted to drink Madeira and port at ten o'clock on a Sunday morning. You know, <laughs> so, we, so we did. <laughs> uh, but it was great. But it was utterly exhausting. I ver- I kind of slept for a week. I I just got it right. I, I'm having no meetings. I'm not looking at myself again. You know? <laughs> That's uh, a part I was going to ask you. Did you just get tired yeah. of really just looking at yourself yeah. on your own screen constantly? Yeah, yeah. because sometimes there's no res- no response and there's anybody there, but mm-hmm. you've got to keep going because people will come in and, and, and watch it again. But yeah, you do you do think you're going mad because yes. you're just sitting there with half a dozen glasses of whiskey going, and now... <laughs> Wow, this was amazing! <laughs> you know, but you can only see yourself. <laughs> yeah, you nutter. Do you think going forward, given what you're saying about limitations of architecture, do you think there'll be a room? There'll be there'll be space for an online component to in-person shows, or yeah. do you think the online will exist slightly separate to the in-person? I would say there's definitely going to be online, and certainly for whiskey. I I can, I can only speak for whiskey show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will definitely be an online component mm-hmm. uh, next year, no matter no matter what, because you have that you have that extra flexibility. You can you can reach more people. You can you can speak around the world. You know you mm-hmm. can, yeah. It's a really useful thing, you know. So, and I think that people are now beginning to see this. In a more creative way. Yeah. Yes. You know, you know rather yes. than using... You know, it's a platform that, that's been built for business meeting. Uh, but there are ways in which you can begin to work around. There are interesting new platforms uh, appearing. You know, you, you can begin to be more creative with it. So well, that, 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 that's kind of the aim. I also, I also wonder if you've now got a consumer base who <laughs> is willing to see where the online goes whereas mm-hmm. before i wonder you know how many people knew how to even turn it on right how, how to even just be present with it and now the the question is well i can hear from from dave broom without leaving my house i can yeah. hear you know from billy and don and and their guests and you know i i wonder if there's that you know now that the base wants it yeah. i wonder if we'll see that uh, niche being filled. Yeah, I, I, I think we will. I think what we have to be very careful of is Zoom fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, which is where the creative part of it comes in. Because because the one thing that I'm, I'm worried about is that 
for the past few years, uh, we, and I'm talking in kind of general people who wander around the world talking about whiskey, mm-hmm. have been trying to move away from the old, right, here's half a dozen, right, here's whiskey number one, da, 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 here's whiskey number two, da, da, mm-hmm. and do that. You know, the formulaic way of, of doing it, which works, but it's giving it tired. But that's kind of what we've reverted to with Zoom. Yeah. <clears throat> and that gets a bit tiring. Uh, it gets tiring for the pe- person doing it, and I think it gets tiring, tiring for the audience if every brand is doing essentially the same thing. Yeah. So that's that's one reason why it's so important to try and think of new ways to get into it. Uh, so we will see we'll see what happens with that. But, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's good to be an interesting way to start talking to people and certainly I mean this week Thursday this week I'm co-hosting a, a talk on whiskey a brand I won't say what brand it is but it's an internal thing for a sales force in Taiwan mm-hmm. so instead of flying a brand ambassador or flying me halfway around the world for two days in Taiwan flying me back home again we can do this and you can do that structured tasting and get all the message across Mm-hmm. So I think that's good, and it's good for the environment. It's good for health because <laughs> you're not on, on planes all the time, mm-hmm. uh, and for certain aspects of education and training, that works. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take away the face-to-face stuff, but the face-to-face stuff becomes that's the important bit. That's the stuff you can only do if you're actually there in in the market and actually talking to people. So. I think what will happen is you'll begin to see this separation of na- the nature of communication. That that is best. That's actually better online. Mm-hmm. Mm. That works online and actually doesn't work when you're doing it face to face. But that has to be done face to face. So I think the next year is going to be very interesting as as everybody begins to try and work out what what this this new world looks like. Because we ain't yeah. going to go back to to the way we were. Which is a good thing. Actually. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting for me watching, you know, we, we had that evolution in business where we went from, oh, that meeting that we just had in the meeting room could have been an email, but we <laughs> just spent two hours in the meeting room. It could have been an email. Now, listening to you in conversations Joshua and I have had and, and had with other people in the industry is, oh, that presentation that just happened in person where we flew the person in for could have happened on Zoom. Like, it's nice seeing that evolution and and see if that will start to take hold. What I'm keeping an eye on going forward is if we've had whiskey festivals in New York and in Stockholm uh, and in Amsterdam and so on and so forth, it used to be the case that you could just... Well, that, that's what we did in person there, and that's what we did in person there, and that was all the same. If you're now going to have any success taking your festival online, you're going to have to have an online point of difference mm. from all those others who have now gone online. Mm. That, to me, is a is a big question going forward. Yeah. And I'd hate to get to the po- the point where we have one or two online festivals Hmm. Uh, because there's only one or two ways to do this but I think what you're saying about creativity being unfurled going forward will be huge yeah I I think so and also 
And it was something I was speaking to uh, with Sam Simmons, actually, mm. recently, which, which is, I think, what, what you saw at the beginning of the lockdown was, was that the big sellers, whiskey-wise, mm-hmm. uh, blended, this is UK, blended scotch, so famous grouse, boom, went through the roof. Yeah. Buck fast, went through, went through, <laughs> went through the roof. Fever tree tonic, went through the roof. Yeah. More smaller esoteric brands, new brands, people who just wanted reassurance, you know, go back, go back there. <clears throat> and I was worried that that would then continue. But mm-hmm. what appears to be happening with all of this moving online mm-hmm. and the education moving online is it's some it's much more of a kind of level playing field to some extent. In fact, I, I think some of the big brands, not all the big brands, but some of the big brands are struggling with all of this. Yeah. Because it doesn't fit their model. Yeah. Their, their model was a massive brand and bad investors out there doing all of this. And the small brands would find it difficult because it was like two people. You know, where do we go? All of a sudden, this is actually more democratic. Mm. You know, it, you get an equal share of voice <laughs> to talk, you know, if you're a smaller distiller. Uh, that for me is fascinating. And I think if you can ally that, and this isn't, anti-big brand or anything, but I, I think if you can ally that, that interest, that inherent interest that people have, but they couldn't find ways of discovering that new brand with a more creative way of doing it, then I think that will benefit people. Hmm. Yeah, You get your message out to more people. You know, instead of reaching 30 people in a whiskey club, you are theoretically getting 300 people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because the, there's... There's been something um, niggling in my my mind about whiskey and and where it's been going, especially through COVID, right? Where if we if we rewind the clock to how did whiskey brands get get out there in front of people? Well, there was a lot of marketing of men in tartans and. Uh, you'd go to a tasting and they'd have their shortbread cookies and it was all very nice and quaint, and, but really old and tired. Got a little bit of an upgrade. Whiskey started becoming cool, right? And now you've got, you know, hip-looking young brand ambassadors going out there trying to get the attention. Pretty girls with little black dresses getting your attention. You know, try this whiskey, try that whiskey. And now I, I think your point is a really good one. These big brands that have relied so heavily on on big shows, on interesting marketing, so on and so forth. I I wonder where they are now. I'm not seeing anything from them. I'm seeing social media posts from fans and things like that. But I, I I'm almost seeing uh, the outreach from big brands to consumers stopping. And so I'm wondering if I'm wondering what you see as a, as a potential path forward for them in, in grappling with this new online COVID world where maybe shows aren't the way they were anymore. Maybe there's not massive shows and sexy girls and you know all all this mm-hmm. stuff, which the sexy girl stuff should have gone away a long time ago anyway. But yeah, yeah, you know that's that that's a that's a whole other story. But but what do you see as potential ways for these larger brands to grapple with this new world that won't go away? I think away? they have to they've got to relook really at the education. 
and they've got to look at the the nature of the communication mm. and how to communicate with, with these people. Uh, and that could be how to do a physical tasting. You know, how do you talk about it? I mean, speaking to, to my good friend, uh, Erf Tchaikovsky, and he made a really, really important point, is that you go into a whiskey tasting and you say, how many of you? And you know that it's newer people. Mm. How many of you have been to a whiskey tasting before? Two or three. Okay, right, you're new. It's great. Well, welcome. This is great. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a great, it's a wonderful, it's a versatile drink. Here's half a dozen neat whiskies. You know, and that's the formula. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. You know, the way, that's it. The way into whiskey is to drink six potentially cast strength whiskies. I mean, come on, it's not the way to do it. Yeah, you know, you've got to find new ways of communicating. I, I think that's what big, big brands will have to do. You know, bring in more of the history, bring bring in more of the heritage, be more flexible. You know, stop stop playing that that game of there just being a script. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's all we're allowed to talk about. Mm-hmm. Allow allow flexibility to you know to exist. And the big brands, big brands will survive, but because the big brands are, and yeah. they are high quality. Yeah, I, I, I'm more excited. To be honest, I'm less worried about the, the big brands. <laughs> I'm, I'm more excited uh, as to the opportunities that now exist for smaller brands. I, I agree with you, and it's not easy. It's not easy, yeah. but. I, I, you know, I, I actually think it's better now than it was maybe last year. I, I, mm. I, I don't disagree with you that, you know, some of these new distilleries are a bit more exciting these days. I, I do think about the big guys just because it is them. They're the ones that trudge forward, that, that make the paths mm. for, these, for these other brands. And I'm sure that they'll come through it. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. Yeah. We will get to a place where... We're all kind of feeling normal again, but I think the landscape in general has changed, not just for the big boys, but for everyone. And if these smaller craft producers look to the big boys as as a potential example of your go-to-market strategy for your brand or educating on your brand, then I, then I think about them and, and potentially what they can do to be that example. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do want... I, do wonder about that as well because I, I wonder if it's the opposite. I might pick you up wrongly there, but I, I would say that if you are a if you're a new distiller mm-hmm. and you're saying right, I'm going to follow the Glenfiddich model, you're not going to get anywhere mm. because you're not you're not making twenty million liters. Yeah, yeah. You might be making half a million. You know, the, the, the whole the, the parameters are, are are completely different. The story is different. I think the the other interesting thing for me, which is one of the advantageous things of, of being smaller brand, is and and again I'm I'm speaking UK here, is that people are now beginning to go right. We're not going to be ordering from Amazon. We're going to be buying locally. We're we're looking to try and support communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this isn't like everybody in Britain, but but there's a distinct groundswell of people going, right, actually, hang on a minute. It's been too easy just to do click, click, click. Let's look about what what's around us. And one of the, and this actually comes from the book, I think one of the interesting things about a lot of the newer distillers is the way they are embedded in communities mm. and talking about being local. Mm. 
And I think that resonates. So even if it did not local to your immediate community, I think that message is, is a really powerful one to get across. And that's quite difficult for a big brand to do. It's not impossible. Uh, and I think the community story and the local story for single malt, if you are part of a, a, a bigger company, is there and it can be talked about. But again, it's something that needs to be spun around in, in a slightly different way. I think Balvenie does it does it exceptionally well. So, so this circles back to, to something I wanted to ask you earlier, but it also ties into to one of the the sessions at um, the Whiskey Show where Nick Morgan, in a conversation around terroir, I was trying to get yeah. you to do a spit take there, yeah. but you, you kept it together. Well done. He, he talked about cultural appropriation with that word terroir. Yeah. And it was interesting because the session also... Uh, occurred with uh, with was it Steve from from Del McGay yeah, yeah and and Rum uh, was was present there and it, it's so interesting that I think when you joined the conversation your word was place right hmm. and and in talking about mezcal the word is place and hmm. people and and tradition and rum is place and tradition and people. And I couldn't help but wonder if Scotch has has made a bed for itself. And, I, and again, we're just talking about big brands here. If Scotch has made a bed for itself where either place got removed to, to some extent, but, but marketing went for the easiest story that could be told. And Joshua <laughs> mentioned it a moment ago, the tartan, the bagpipes, the shortbread. And... And in listening to you talking about place and and talking to craftspeople outside of whiskey about place, on one hand, as we're talking about these new stories being told and we're talking about craft brands existing within place, Mm. if big brands pick up on that, I worry that they will dilute Mm -hmm. that new messaging Mm to three takeaway points that get hit in every tasting because they just can't help themselves. But I do think that it is important to think of Glenfiddich having place, having tradition, mm-hmm. having history. You know, talk about Balvenie, I think they tied themselves to craft mm-hmm. really well. And certainly the story they were telling in America was one of craft. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, it's interesting to me that if you see craft producers set up a point of difference, it's inevitable that the marketing from the big boys will find their way to a version of the same messaging. Um, <laughs> do I have to ask you a question at the end of that? <laughs> <laughs> question mark. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's... What do yeah, you think, it, Dave? <laughs> it's something. It's something we, we touched on in the amber light, the fitness one mm. we made, which is yeah, kind I of wanted a, to ask you about that as well. Kind of parallel to the book, different to the book, but but there's some commonality there. And it's really interesting looking at how the links between whiskey and Scotland. For me, anyway, mm. I, I think Nick disagrees with me on this, but the, for me, 
They begin to fray around the edge at the tail end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century. And the same thing happens in Scottish song. You get Harry Lauder, you the same mm-hmm. Scottish literature. It becomes very kind of... Uh, Scottish term is coothy but sen- sentimentalised. Mm-hmm. And you see that with whiskey as well. And you can understand it with whiskey because suddenly it's a global spirit and you've got to sell it into markets where they don't necessarily know where Scotland is, etc., etc. Et so what are the shorthand? You know, this new world of advertising, you've got to say it's about this. But you're going to use the cliches which are already sprung up around Scotland which is going to be that kind of Walter Scott balmorality. But I think as a result of that, I think the rest of the world picked up on it and I think it became really an important way of doing it. Mm. But it, whiskey lost its connection with Scotland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see whiskey as being ours. And it's just kind of a weird thing, actually. You know, I knew whiskey was made in Scotland when I was growing up, but I didn't really feel it was part of me. Yep. And, but I, th- I think that's changing. I think that's changing now, and I think single malt has helped because single malt is all about this place, this distillery, this mm-hmm. flavour, only place in the world you're going to get that, boom, that's brilliant. I think that's where blends have struggled in some markets because they're amorphous, they're mm. international, they're global things. Yeah. It's mm. where some single malts, I think, down the line may may struggle because mm-hmm. they've deliberately moved themselves away into luxury markets yeah. where the connection with a spot on the earth is divorced, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that terroir debate was, was a fascinating one because yeah, I, I don't believe you can... And there's too many compromises that you have to make uh, to try and imposed wine terroir mm. on top of whiskey. There's too many mm-hmm. differences. Mm-hmm. And sure. even if you do see some differences, say from not just barley variety, but maybe from field to field or, or whatever, in the new make stage, but since you put it into a cask after four or five years, any of those subtle nuances may well uh, have disappeared. So I'm not disputing that it, di- it exists, but I don't think we can use that word. Mm-hmm. Because that word means something else. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got to look at it in a different way. And that's why I, I like think talking about place because it's a, it's a wider concept. It, it, it brings in so many more things. It brings in the human touch. Mm. Whereas terroir can also be become, become abstracted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not actually part of us. It's all to do with soil and rainfall and slopes and sunshine and etc. etc. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. And you have to be very hands off. That's why there's so many fucking disgusting natural wines out there because winemakers are kind of going, "That's all right. I'm just going to let the grapes do what they want to do." <laughs> you know, and it's, it's vile. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, and spite up with spirits at some stage. You know, why? Why should we take a middle cut? You know, there's some wonderful flavours in the faints. You know, you know, what's wrong with methanol? You know, you know, there's a good reason. It's a good reason that there are people called blenders and distillers and winemakers who are there, corralling and gently persuading flavours flavours to to emerge. Sure. And that's why 
I don't think terroir is appropriate to talk or, or an appropriate term to use uh, whiskey, but place but places because place brings in people and culture and all of that. What do uh, we do with with the commodification of barley under the rubric mm. of place? Because that, that that to me is the rubric. troublemaker there. Where yeah. you know, it's is it coming from Russia? Is it coming from the, the, the southeast of England, right? Is is it coming from some corner of Scotland? Can we overcome the commodification of barley to get back to people and geography and uh, yes and no. If you go back to nineteenth century you will find that the bulk of barley being used for Scotch whisky mm. was coming from England or coming from the continent. Mm-hmm. It wasn't coming from Scotland. Mm-hmm. You know, Scot- Scotland has always used imported barley. It's very difficult for the Scotch whisky industry to be supported on the amount of barley that's grown harvest and the interesting climatic conditions that we have in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I agree. I, I agree that the, the whole provenance of barley is, is very important. And the interesting thing about barley variety and conceivably giving flavour and barley varieties which are suited to specific areas, you know, the climatic conditions in Isla, like Cahoman, mm-hmm. significantly different to that yep. in Fife. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so why are they planting the same varieties? Mm-hmm. You know? So I know one, for me, one of the most fascinating uh, talks that, that took place at the Whiskey Show was uh, Steve Jones from the Bread Lab in Washington State mm-hmm. and, yep. and Dr. James Brosnan from the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute, yeah. uh, who is overseeing or helping to oversee the International Barley Hub. And he's going, we've got to get this sorted. We've got to get it sorted because of uh, climate emergency, mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. sustainability, and for flavour. So that is happening. So within the next decade, I think you will see a much more, much greater fine tuning of barley and barley barley strains or new crosses, more suited to different parts. Uh, and we're just talking about Scotland mm-hmm. within Scotland itself, which some distillers will utilise. Because that will give them a point of difference. Yeah. If you're yeah. making, you know, huge amount of of volume, and your your setup is uses a different strain of barley, which is higher yielding, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's fine. So I'm not one of the I'm not kind of revisionist in this and going. Oh, we have, we have to try and make whiskey the way it was made in 1823. Sure. Yeah. You know, the whiskey that was made in 1823 was bloody awful. Yeah, absolutely. Let's face it. Uh, What I'm saying is let's at least have an option. Mm. And it's fascinating to see Scotch whiskey coming in and going, right, we have to do it for a multiplicity of different reasons. Barley's a biggie. Barley's a biggie. Well, and having heard yield... For, for decades now, yeah. you know, and it was just accepted, you know, mm. the barley's just here for the yield yeah. and then coming Not out the of beer production, you know, and, and now mm. now talking about yeast, you know, mm. it's, it's lovely to see the number of directions the conversation can go, yeah. but still understanding there's a big factory here that's charged with making X million litres of spirit annually. 
That's the yeah. business model. Yeah. And so I, I absolutely agree with you that we should not be looking backwards and saying, you know, we have to be tasting this the way Alfred Bernard tasted this. Hmm. You know, that, that, that seems to defeat the, the whole purpose of progress. Yeah. But I would like to, to see an awareness of the consumer who is saying, and we had this conversation at Coleman, we had it with Anthony Wills, you know, right before the fish, um, where we are talking, but what, what can yeast do? What yeah, can exactly. different barley strains do? You know, if you are a distiller who's set up in such a way that you are able to explore it, go ahead and explore it. The, the, you know, Mark Rene over at, at Waterford, you want to explore that? Go bananas, and, and he is, yeah. right? Go bananas. Yeah. And, uh, and let's, let's see what it is. You know, the proof is in the pudding, as, uh, as we all grew up. Yeah, saying. you've got to continue to ask questions. If you've been in a, a position of, of power for 100, 100 odd years, as Scotch had, mm. no real rivals globally. If you're the only player, then you get stuck in your ways. If you've gone mm. through the crisis of the 1980s, where distilleries were closing, 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 you're going to be naturally cautious. Even for a Scotsman, you're going to be cautious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, risk, no. No, we want to make sure that we're, this industry is going to survive. Yeah. So you can understand why the thinking from in the 1990s and beginning of this century is different to the thinking now. Mm. Because the world has changed, the world has moved on. Mm. So, and also... If I'm a distiller, if I wanted to start a, a whiskey distillery in Scotland these days, I'm not going to be thinking about, right, I'm going to be selling 70% of my, my wares to a big blending firm. I'm going to be making it for my single malt. Mm-hmm. And because I'm making it for a single malt in an established market where it's difficult to get on the shelf, I've got to look very, very hard about ways in which to make the flavour different. Yeah. And the big and the big story, so this is a complete reset for for whiskey, for Scotch whiskey, for single malt especially. This is this is single malt becoming single malt rather than being brands or, or whiskies which existed in parallel to being fillings. Yeah, yeah. This is a complete reset, uh, and the thinking behind it, and the philosophy behind it, is totally different. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting, and as a, as a result of that, people are going. Well, let's look at roasts, let's look at barley variety, let's look at yeast, let's look at um, making, and, and I'm looking at a bottle of Ardenburg in here, you know, let's make two different styles of, uh, of whiskey, but blend them together, rather than mm-hmm. keeping them all separate. Yeah. You know? But you know, it's because of, that, because of that reset, and because of the nature of whiskey, it takes time for it to begin to manifest itself, but it has been going on for probably 10 years. Mm. And now mm-hmm. we're beginning to see mm-hmm. it bearing fruit. Do you do you think that some of the new producers might be facing a, a period of time where, in a way, they they feel as if they're they're pushing water uphill? In that they're producing spirit specifically for single malt, they don't have the luxury to sell off spirit for fillings or to go into blends. They don't have that constant uh, revenue stream coming in. So what? You find that to be a, a big stumbling block for some of these producers. Oh God, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've got a very deep pocket, you know. You know, you were saying you'd been talking to June at yeah. uh, Aaron. Yeah. Well, well-run company. 
the newest distillery on the block, took them about 10 years to turn a profit. Yeah. Even though they're really, really well run, making brilliant whiskey that everybody loved, it's expensive business. Mm. It's a really, really expensive business. So yeah, all these new distillers will find it hard. Mm-hmm. Where's the distribution? You know, you know, who's going to buy? Who's going to listen? What's my point of difference? Uh, I've got to buy more wood every year, more wood every year. I've got to hold some back. Can't release. Can probably release it a bit earlier. Yeah. Than we did in the past, but even then, yeah, it's a long, long term business. Uh, and the key is quality. The key is quality and a genuine point of view. It's, it's no good making a nice whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's got to be exceptional. Yep. Yep. Everybody knows how to make nice whiskey. So so here's a thing we've been discussing internally, uh, and we actually just, just talked to Ollie Chilton about just over a dram, is are you encountering exceptional whiskey and you're clearly tasting a, a ton and, and we're tasting a lot and and ollie over there is is doing all of his tasting malarkey um it's interesting to me that i i don't want to become jaded right and that, you know I, I tidied up my desk last night i had 20 open bottles of whiskey just on my desk cluttering it up and i know that for some people that's their whiskey collection and for me that was just something that was annoying me and i was working around so i i don't want to become jaded i don't want to be spoiled or ruined here but i'm i'm encountering so many whiskeys where i go yeah i drink that of a night yeah yeah i drink that of a night it's nice I, right yeah Yep. And I, I don't quite... I, it's not even that I don't know where exceptional is anymore. I don't even know what I would consider exceptional right now. And and so for you, Dave, are, are, are there moments when a, a whiskey is still stopping you in your tracks? Yeah. Are you able to put some leaves on the branches of what, what does exceptional mean uh, when encountered within whiskey? When I'm tasting, and, and, and it'll be the same for you guys as well, you know, there's three elements. Mm-hmm. We said two fingers, three elements. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that is. It's kind of, that looks a bit there weird. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Someone's had a car Three elements. Accident. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Number one. Okay, number one. <laughs> number one, balance, complexity, and character. Mm. And they all, they're interplay. And... I find that the nice whiskies are well balanced, but they're probably maybe a little low in character and that individuality. Mm. And as a result, maybe a little bit low in complexity. So that's always at the back of my mind, you know, are all these elements working together? And you find some, some new ones where they are. They do exist. They do exist. So can a new distiller come on the scene with an exceptional whisky? Or is it more a watch this space and the complexity will come as that new make spends time in the in the cask? I, I mentioned Art the Merkin. Mm-hmm. That's an exceptional whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tasted the cask, individual cask components for Razi. Mm-hmm. Mm. Chase, that's going to be an amazing whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we got um, Ian on the podcast when we were at yeah. Maltstock and uh, and tasted individual components and said the yeah. same thing. 
Like, Whee! Yep. Yeah. It's going to be really, really, really exciting. So, you know, there's two. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know you, you know, you look at what Daft Mill is doing, you look what Inch Tierney is doing. Inch Tierney is an extraordinary, extraordinary distillery. Mm. Uh, you know, so they are out there. Mm-hmm. That's really great mm-hmm. to hear. It, it, it actually, hearing this, made me think of a New Make Spirit review that that Serge did. Uh, I forget the name, but it's <laughs> the Japanese distillery that, that now has one of the Karazawa stills. Uh, Shizuka. Yeah, Shizuka. And Serge gave that New Make 91 points, just on the New Make alone, mm-hmm. saying this, yeah. it, it's clear how remarkable this whiskey will be just just from the sampling of the new make. Yeah, it, they're making amazing stuff. Uh, Kanoski, extraordinary, really, really good. Yeah. Uh, there's some great new makes out there. Yeah, that's really great. Like it's age, it's but, exciting. Yeah, that's... But, you know, low sulfur. So as a result of it of it being low and, low and kind of sulfur and kind of, you know, hairy bits, the... It's going to mature, or it's going to start its journey into maturity a lot quicker, because you're not having to remove as much in order for, for that mature character to come through. So you're going to be getting a whiskey that's coming up quicker. Kilhoman, again, we mentioned it a few times, but Kilhoman a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Nicknean, really good example of that. Okay, you know, yeah, making yeah. a very, making a very. An, I don't like using the word clean because it sounds neutral, but but you know, a non-sulfured new make. Uh, that'll allow you to, to, to come in and show that character earlier. Not that there's anything wrong with sulfur in you make. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Good to get that if on that's the record. A, if that's the style you want to make, yeah. which would yeah. be for longer-term maturation, boom, you need it. Right. That's that's Mortlock for you right there. Right. There's Mortlock yeah. for it. There's, yeah, Craig mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 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 Um, I... I had one one last question in my mind. It it takes us away from where this conversation has been taking us, but it's it's up to you, Jason. If you had another question, also I want to be respectful of your time, Dave. No, it's fine. I've got no work, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, let me let me ask it again. Uh, ask it now, anyway, because it's apropos gallows humor to your work. Um, we touched a little bit on your on your writing process, and I've I've never written anything beyond a blog beyond a blog post, right? Uh, but I'm always curious about people's writing process and and wonder if it's if it's a linear thing. Is writing linear, or do you find it to be uh, a, a patchwork of of bits and bobs that you're able to then Put together in the end. Yeah, it's probably a patchwork, to be honest. I just kind of say dreadfully pretentious, but I have to, I have to say it was somebody else that wrote it. Otherwise, somebody will go, "Oh, somebody else said that." Uh, <laughs> it was the the writer Jack Kerouac said, "You know, just start writing. You know, it's like running a tap, mm. and the water's kind of tepid to begin with, and eventually it'll become cold and clear, and boom, you've got it." So yeah, it's a matter of just kind of getting down there. And the first couple of paragraphs will be rubbish and suddenly, you know, a theme will begin to emerge. Or I, I still write notebooks, mm, you know, okay. and, and it'll just be impressions, impressions. And then there'll suddenly be something, ah, actually that. 
and that doesn't fit with that, but that's actually another idea. So, yeah, it's a bit haphazard, but wow. yeah, it's the way I work. But it's it's different for everyone, you know. Are you able to work on multiple writing projects without? Yeah, yeah, you are. You can you can compartmentalize. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was an interesting one when my wife began looking after kind of the admin and samples and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I go right. Okay, I'm working on this, uh, but I'm also working on this. So, but that's priority, and then that's that's A and B. And then another job would come in, and it would be suddenly, well, that deadline's shorter, and go actually, you've got to do this. But I'm doing those. Yeah, but that was now priority. You know, so, 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 so there's always this kind of well, in the good old days, there's always this juggling, uh, always this kind of juggling going on. Uh, so yeah, as long as you don't let them leech into it. Yeah, but, you know, and yeah. you, you end up just writing the same thing, right. but uh, okay. try and keep them completely separate from each other. The one thing I didn't mention is that I do have a website. Oh, yeah, called... <laughs> please, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, <laughs> which I always, I always forget. I forget. <laughs> uh, it's called the Whiskey Manual. That's what I have been working on. Uh, the Whiskey Manual. Dot UK, uh, and that's where I put up tasting notes and all that other stuff. Not so, not dot co dot UK. It's just dot UK. Nope, just the UK. Okay. I probably should have done .co.uk, uh, but, but no. It's, in fact, if you do .co.uk, it'll probably get through. Maybe. Okay. 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 We'll, we'll put it to the test. We're, yeah. we're those types of geeks. We'll put it to the test. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what's interesting about the journey you've taken, Dave, is when we were talking uh, on the last episode, actually our Thanksgiving episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, we were talking to her wives, um, which was very pleasant for the most part. And, and I would, you know, I, I talked about, I was teaching philosophy and I started a whiskey tasting society and then I launched the blog because I wanted a place to put my notes. There was a part of me contemplated, could I parlay this blog into some writing jobs? You know, one of my ambitions growing up was to be a writer. And so, and philosophy took me instead. And so, so that, that was kind of like, oh, would, would this parlay into that? And, and the fact that it turned into an independent bottling business, we totally came out of left field, thanks to the other gentlemen in this conversation. It, it's been interesting for me looking at you, very successful author, chap, touring the world, running tastings and, and being, you know, Dave Broom whiskey guy to now have a blog. And, mm. and it's, it's so interesting because at the time when, when we were blogging, we used to legitimize that enterprise as much as we possibly could. But we would, we would draw attention to Sam Simmons, to Serge Valentin, to, to Kevin Erskine, right? Well, look how good a job those guys are doing. There's something here. And when we were working on ours, there was Gal at Whiskey Israel and Mark at Whiskey 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 and Neil and Joel at Cast Strength and Ruben at Whiskey Notes. And I feel like they are, they are now the elder statesmen of mm-hmm. blogging and just as blogging has gone into this world of well really you just do it because you can get some booze showing up on your doorstep through the saloon doors comes Dave <laughs> bloody broom and then like and, and I know you're a modest chap and I and I know you're not going to answer this the way I want you to do you think your presence helps to legitimize blogging 
Boom! What a question! You like it? Wow! I I I, I do like it. I don't consider it a blog. I consider it a, it's a website. It's a website, right? That's how the dare you. you used earlier. How, how dare you call me a blog? He did say website. Spent, yeah, I've spent I'm thirty nothing. thirty fucking years doing it. I'm not a blogger. You know? <laughs> Johnny, come lately. Hundred you percent. Know? Uh, it's. I, I, I've never really thought about it in that way, to be perfectly honest. It was just with the closing, the closing, uh, the closure of scotchwhiskey.com. Mm. Yes. And yes. there's a limited number of outlets that you can write for in terms of whiskey. I thought, well, actually, I've still got stuff to say. I'm still going around the world. People are still sending me the whiskeys, so I want to keep my hand in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, that's the reason for doing it, yeah. You know, I enjoy it. And it's an interesting discipline. Does it legitimise blogging? I think blogging's been legitimised, to be honest. I think Ooh. the good guys... I well, there's no, 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 there's a statement more polemical than, than terroir. Like, holy moly, okay. No, I, I, I think the good blogs, the good blogs and the good... are really well worth reading. Mm-hmm. Edinburgh mm-hmm. Whiskey blog, fantastic. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, Absolutely. really good. Really yep. well written. Yep, agreed. And... I think you can see the ones where people step back and look at whiskey R- rather than the blog just being a vehicle for their obsessions, which and for ranting, mm-hmm. uh, they actually then step back and begin to analyse stuff. Yeah. That is when it becomes interesting. And that's when it stops being a blog and actually becomes something that you're going, you're going to read because it's, because it's, Thought provoking and it's and it's different, and they're not running out of steam. Like oh, but I've written everything I ever want to write about. Yeah, another. Yeah, <laughs> it's all done. You know, it's nope. It's it's a big subject. So yeah, the good ones will 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 continue, and the ones where people think they can do it and they're enthusiastic, brilliant. But but they will, you know, there'll be a natural natural attrition. Mm. Yes, mm-hmm. well, which is funny. I think I started saying that maybe, oh gosh, which year are we in? Maybe 12 years ago, I think I was mm. talking about blogging as a meritocracy mm. uh, and the, the good ones would rise and find an audience and the the, the, the lesser would, would fall away. And now we've just got thousands upon thousands of them. Yeah. Um, why couldn't scotchwhiskey.com be monetized? I, I, just, I, I just wondered about it myself because, you know, yes, there's... I. You know, people have a hard time, you know, for those of us who have really kind of come along with the internet, everything's for free. You know, all your information is free. Read the New York Times, but don't pay for it. Um, and anytime some website comes up with a pay model, people just move on mass to the one that remains free. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if there was a concern that you had the audience, but to monetize it, folk would just go, yeah, uh, I'm not going to do that. The move towards monetization came too late. It should have come considerably uh, earlier. Mm. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, also, and that, that, that seems like I'm putting blame on the wrong people. <clears throat> also, the industry has changed. You know, the old ways of advertising have gone. Mm-hmm. You know, Imbibe magazine in the UK is just closed. I know. You know, oh you know, my gosh. You know there, there are no there are no ads anymore. You know that that model that financial model of of promotion has has gone, so I think if we'd approached or not not we because we were editorial. I think if 
the distillers had been approached at 18 months, two years earlier, it would have been okay. Oh, but okay. it came at exactly the wrong time. Mm. And it was it was losing money, or it wasn't making any money because, you know, there was no money coming in. Uh, so it was a real shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely a loss. It, it is interesting to talk to so many different people 100%. where we all had scotchwhiskey.com in common. Um, mm. and, and, and that's certainly rare. I, I think when it came to some of the bloggers, you would invariably have your favourites, maybe three or four that you would read but that wasn't a lesson other good ones. Scotchwhiskey.com was something we all had in common. Uh, that yeah, was, yeah. It was trying to do something much larger. And well, I think yeah. that that was worth it applauding was, it for. It was hugely ambitious, you know. Uh, maybe maybe too ambitious, too early. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. we, we loved what we did. Uh, we got fantastic support. And, yeah, it's a shame what happened. But Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Oh, Who knows? Sorry, Who knows what sorry. may happen? You know. Oh, well, I'm I'm going to turn off the faucet of questions here, and <laughs> and, and I always enjoy always, your faucet. I, I, I just I enjoy so talking to you. There, there are questions that I have purposely not asked you that are going to be when you come back for the third time. <laughs> um, I've, I've got questions ready to go. Um, we get we get every guest out of here on this. It's really. Uh, it's, it's taken on a new life in 2020. Um, looking ahead, Dave Broom, what are you mm. most excited for? <laughs> Clearly Vaccine. there's COVID <laughs> answers here and maybe the work coming back in again uh-huh. uh, will be part of this. Clearly we've talked about the project. Clearly you talked about March being the, the earliest you'd yeah. be able to get back onto that. Um but but even the industry writ large, you don't you don't even have to answer it for yourself. You can if you want. But as you look forward, what are you excited about within whiskey? What, what am I excited about? Uh, I, I know what I want to happen. I mean, I, I, I'm so looking forward to seeing people again. Mm-hmm. You know, actually being in the room with people and having a dram. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so important. I'm looking forward to going to friends' bars and thank goodness. It, raising a glass because they've managed to survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, yeah. How will whiskey change? And I think if all things will never be the same, but if things can begin to come back up again, we are already at a hugely exciting time in whiskey's evolution. And, and this isn't just scotch. This is, this is global. Mm-hmm. You know, the quality of the whiskey coming out of England at the moment is amazing. There's going to be great stuff from, from Ireland. There's definitely great stuff coming from the States. Mm-hmm. Amazing whiskies coming from New Zealand. Australia has now just all of a sudden taken off again. You know, so there's whiskey, you know. That, I mean, this does not look like a sample of whiskey, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I swear it is. So what's your We're calcium level at? It's <laughs> from the this is Faroe Islands. Oh wow! Yeah, so distilling in Pharaohs, and it's lovely. Wow! You know, mm. so so yeah, you have okay. to be optimistic. You have to be optimistic. Yeah, oh, this is very yeah. Cool. Whiskey as a, as you a guys. category yeah. remains buoyant. I yes, uh, yes, yes, and no. Mm. You know, I I think there's probably too much whiskey getting made around the world. To be honest, I, I don't think you're. S- Given the number of distilleries which are opening up, I don't think you're seeing a commensurate rise in whiskey consumption. Mm. 
Hmm. So that's going to be the interesting one in the next five to ten years. Because I think you will see some distilleries just simply can't can't survive. Yeah. Mm. Or the model's going to shift significantly. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you think it'll ultimately be a meritocracy? Do you think the good ones will survive, or do you think we'll even lose some good ones? I think we'll lose some good ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we'll lose the good ones who don't have a business plan, or have a less good <laughs> business plan, or who are just unfortunate. You know, mm. shit happens. Cool. So it does happen. But, you know, that, that's yeah. 2020 in a nutshell. It <laughs> <that> happens. <laughs> and how? <laughs> hey, I was just going to say, usually that last last, last question ends on, on a high note, but we, we ended in a conversational cul-de-sac there with a very sad yeah. note. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I just got overly <laughs> Scottish about that. You know, nice. It was that... It was that last question from Jason. They're you know, just like, sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. We are <laughs> we're paddling in a whistle. Loch, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do apologize. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jason's. No, everything, everything, everything's going to be wonderful. Yeah, everything's going to be wonderful. Especially go. for independent bottlers. <laughs> yeah. Especially for independent, independent bottlers. Indeed. Yeah, right. Yeah, jeez, yeah, that, it's so funny we've spoken to you twice. I don't think we've talked about independent bottlers either time, so... No. I always find it interesting when, when it becomes clear to me that people's minds work in a different way than mine. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. I, you know, here, yeah. here, here at 47 years of age... I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised when I put forth a pi- an opinion or an idea and someone says, yeah, I hear you on that, but have you thought about it this way, right? And and just listening back to, you know, my question to, to Dave and saying, you know, here, here we are during COVID time, new distilleries opening up, trying to get their footing, and what they're lacking is the big boys – leading the way and what it looks like to to grow a brand during covid because the big brands seemingly aren't really making much of a splash or or haven't been though I do have a little bit of an of an update and I want to tell you about that in a second you know these big brands seem to be quieter compared to some of these smaller brands I'm seeing which are taking full uh, who are making full use of social media um, stuff and and Zoom and and all these things? You know, I just when we lived in a time where the big boys led the way, we're now in a time where that's not what whiskey looks like right now. And these smaller brands that 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 Dave is trying to shed a light on, they are um, blazing their own path. And wouldn't it be interesting if if their paths succeed and the big boys have to follow suit, right, and change mm-hmm. the way that they work? Boy, in some cases, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would certainly be intriguing to see the the thought of a a smaller company being able to pivot, to be able to think on its feet, to have you know instantaneous decisions being made on the route forward tomorrow yeah. and and it's just not something you see with the behemoths yeah. on the behemoth side of course 
is they've already put in so much work that people do continue to go to the liquor store and buy that brand. Yeah. Um, you know, getting getting drinks to go, cocktails to go in an establishment that's trying to keep its doors open and its lights on during COVID and, and COVID restrictions, customers know what to ask for, mm -hmm. right? They're not necessarily going to go exploring at that point. But yes, if, if you can get on social media, if you can get on a Zoom, if you can get some tasting packs shipped out to some people, uh, obviously COVID has impacted that at the end of the year here. But there's uh, there's other ways to think about yeah. it, right? And, and and I think for the type of whiskey consumer that listens to a podcast like ours, they're putting in the time and mm -hmm. the effort mm -hmm. to seek out the smaller producers, yeah. those who are making swifter pivots. And so in, in a way here, I think we're, preaching to the choir, as they say, but to know that our listeners then approach their friends and yeah. say, have you tried? It's that grassroots brand ambassadorial mm -hmm. role that consumers are taking on for themselves. And, and that's what Single Cast Nation has greatly benefited from. And, and that we love receiving those emails that say, I you know, shared this with this friend, socially distanced in the backyard. I sent an email to that friend and told them to look out for mm. it at retail or on a website. Like that's what we have greatly benefited from. And it's something that I think the pandemic is leading to others benefiting from as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, I did want to say... However, that last night, Haida and I were watching uh, something on who. Oh, we were watching Pen Fifteen, the new the new season of Pen Fifteen on Hulu. If you if you don't know it, Jason, that show is so up your alley. You'd really enjoy it. Uh, two two women who are playing uh, seventh graders and and showing what life is like for for seventh graders. It is so well done. It's so smart. Just to be clear, when you say this would be right up my alley, just for the benefit of the listeners, mm -hmm. what is it about it that would be right up my alley? Now you've described two women living life as seventh graders. Because you enjoy a story well told and jokes well said. Hmm. And, and what's nice about the show is that it infuses a really great story, a really funny story, with honest-to-goodness feelings of this is what it's like to be in seventh grade. And I, I just, I feel as if I'm reliving bits of seventh grade watching this show, of, of being a 12-year-old kid. It's really well mm. done. But the reason that I, that I bring this up is during one of the commercial breaks, there was a one-minute-long commercial from Maker's Mark that I thought was brilliant mm. and what mm. it was is they they hired some chef slash slash mixologist or mixologist slash chef whatever it was i don't i didn't recognize the person but here he is he's in his kitchen and he's showing you how to make a maker's mark cocktail mm. and i thought that that was brilliant because it was so obvious he's home 
What do we do when we're home? You're making home cocktails. Like that, in my opinion, is a company who said, okay, we have to do something. How do we make it so people bring our bottles home? How about a great one-minute tutorial on how to make a nice, quick, and easy cocktail? It's interesting that you mention Maker's Mark because you and I are are fans of the podcast Smartless. Mm. And they, in recent episodes, one of their commercials has been Maker's Mark. And, And it's interesting, at this time, they're really the only... For all the places where I consume media... Maker's Mark is the only one I'm hearing from. I'm not, I'm not hearing from the other players right now. Not, and I'm not saying they're not advertising. I'm just saying in the places where I consume media, yeah, yeah. I'm only hearing Maker's Mark. That's, that's a really good point. You know, as we were talking with Dave and I'm saying, I'm not seeing anything from the big boys. The fact of the matter is media is so big right now and their focus simply may not be within the, the, the demographics or, the, or, or my interests, right? They could be going after Correct. sports for all I know. I don't follow sports, so I would never Correct. see that. So, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I did like, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to end my, my insights here, but feel free to add on. I did quite like the way you ended the podcast where you said you know these two times where we sat down to to record a conversation we never once discussed independent bottlers that'll be our third conversation i I love how you just it's like it's like going to someone's house and 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 leaving your jacket there you know because you know you got to go back and get it (laughs) you know um I, Actually, Joshua, it's, it's leaving an earring down the side cushion on the couch. That's oh. that's the move. Right? Or do you do that a lot? Do you leave earrings just, you know? E- either that or my knickers. But it, but it is interesting because, you know, you and I were asking him questions about his process. Mm-hmm. And I got the sense that... He, he didn't really want to dive into it too much. He'd give us an answer and he'd answer the question, but it wasn't the usual Dave Broom deep dive unpacking. It was more a case of, well, yeah, I just simply do this. I sit down, yeah. I, I make myself put in the time and that that's kind of it. And it's, it's interesting, as much as he didn't want to talk about process too much, you and I haven't really wanted to turn the lens back onto ourselves mm. within those interviews. It's been much more a... Dave, tell us about, you know, where things started. Dave, tell us about Japan. Dave, tell us about something Mm. else, right? And so to hear Dave on Independent Bottlers, I think will be absolutely fascinating. But it's, again, going to be us from within our realm turning the floor over to Dave to learn from him and and his perspective and the the historical context that he delivers on Independent Bottling. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I, I am too. And I actually, I have had a question in the chamber since the day we recorded where you said that. And I said, oh my gosh, that's right. We haven't spoken with Dave about this. And boy, do I have a question. And, uh, and so I've had, I've been holding on to that question. So come 2021, I'm saving it for him. 
Right. I'm going to save Gosh. that my question virginity for uh, for Dave. Wow, lucky old Dave. Next mm. you'll be leaving earrings down the side of the couch. <laughs> that are my knickers. One, one, one <laughs> or the other. Now I have a question for you, Jason. Uh-huh. Is this a question that's being recorded or is this a production meeting question? <laughs> Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> do we need to wake the paper boy? Yes. Please do wake the paper boy. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, extra, read all about it. Me and that Playboy in trouble again. Extra, extra. <laughs> that seemed like a pretty confident yes. Please do Ooh. wake up the paper boy kind of comment, which makes makes me think you got a bit of news that you want to share. So why don't you go ahead first? Yeah, I, I'm curious on the correct order to actually yeah. uh, put this into the podcast, because on one hand, we mentioned in the last episode, if, if you're a retailer, a distributor, a member of a whiskey club, and you want to do a cask pick with Single Cask Nation, reach out to info at singlecastnation.com mm-hmm. and we have started hearing from groups over there and that, that's that been really wonderful, really exciting. I've, I've reached a point in those conversations where we're now going to pivot back or we will return to the conversation once the calendar turns to 2021 mm-hmm. but it's been excellent getting their interest noted and into a spreadsheet. Exactly. So as, so as that part is building, really wonderful, we also, through, through you, Joshua, mm-hmm. we have got a single cask has been bottled for 99 bottles in Connecticut. Correct. Do you want to tell us what that is? Yes, that was a 12-year-old. It's a bourbon from Tennessee. And we, you know, we can't disclose the distillery Kind of puts us in a pickle, not being able to to disclose the distillery name, you know. But anyway, we, we've done that. A twelve-year-old uh, bottled at fifty-seven point one percent alcohol, natural cask strength. Listeners cannot see me rocking back and forth in my chair as you deliver a terrible, terrible hint as to what's in the bottle. <laughs> you know, I've so been. I'm sorry, hold on, continue. yeah. Let me hold on. I just want to take another tipple. Of this, of this whiskey up right here. Mm. Uh, so, so there's that for 99 bottles, and I know what people are thinking immediately. They're thinking, single cast nation store exclusive, 99 bottles. Let me call them up and see if they'll ship to my state. And uh, 99 bottles doesn't ship at all. So you've got to have a friend in Connecticut who can pick up a bottle for you if you live out out of state. I know some people who have driven two, three, four hours to Connecticut to get these bottles, uh, which is pretty damn impressive. So, so that's one exclusive. There's a sister cask, Jason, that we bottled as an exclusive for California. So our distributor there, JVS Imports, we did an exclusive for them, and that's a 14-year-old from the same... Tennessee Bourbon Distillery, and that one's bottled at 57.2% alcohol. And so the 99 bottles one, I think we got 140 bottles, and the one for California, there's only about 108, 109. The label says 140, 
but we lost a bit. So, yeah. And then there's also a sister cask that went to South Africa. That's right. There's a sister cask that went to Whiskey Brother in South Africa. And that one was a 13-year-old. So we have 12 years for Connecticut, 13 years for South Africa, 14 years for California. And, and here's, here's what I want to say. The last thing that I want to say about these three casks, similar to our Pappy Nonsense, which had bourbon from the same distillery, the reason that we purchased this parcel of casks is that all of them veered from the standard flavor profile of this distillery, which is one of my favorite bourbon profiles, if I'm being very honest. It's very peanut buttery. There's a slightly medicinal note going on. People will say it's like Fred Flintstone's vitamins or multivitamins or something like that. Like, I love that flavor profile. But these casks specifically ignored those notes and really focused more on, on the fruity elements of the spirit, though though that nuttiness still remains. Yeah, the, the casks, when we originally sampled them, all had fantastic components going on in them. And yeah, we we bought a we bought a few. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's one more exclusive I was about to say this. Yes. Yeah, would, would you mind sharing the news of that? Uh, I was gonna. I was only gonna give you the intro to it and let you take away the details. But oh. we do have a single malt Scotch exclusive single cask going into Roma in New York City. Mm-hmm. Roma wines, and that is a ten-year-old bottled at full cast strength. Of course, everything that we do is is bottled at full cast strength. Let me see, it's 58.8% alcohol, and I need to give you the tasting notes. So normally... (laughs) I remember them well. (laughs) So normally we would write the label tasting notes, uh, but this time around, Anthony Levinson, who's the the spirits buyer at the store, came up with his tasting notes. And they read as such. If we could sum up this whiskey into three words, they would be, quote... Barbecue roasted marshmallows. We also get smoked salt, and I love this. You ready? Weaponized confectioner sugar (laughs) and chipotle baked pears. A wonderfully balanced peated highland, uh, peated highland, with a supple mouthfeel that shows you a slightly softer side of peat. Yeah, it's a great cask. A great cask, and it allows me to say supple. And indeed, you did say it. I could do the whole thing. If we sum up this whiskey in three words, but I won't do that. Anyway, continue. Was there, was there more news, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there more news? Yes. There was. Our very important s- news. second retail release for UK, Europe, and rest of the world has left our warehouse in Scotland. Has. It's on its way to Japan, it's on its way to Germany, it's on its way to Sweden, and elements, aspects, bottles are on their way to UK retailers. So we're, we're getting very close to seeing that on many, many more shelves. And, yeah. and Jess will be over the moon 
when that finally happens. And for those of you that do some shopping in UK shops, whether you whether you live in the UK or you live in a country where these shops can ship to you, uh, definitely t- keep a lookout at the Whiskey Exchange website, the Master of Malt website, and the Whiskey World website. All three of those will definitely have some of our bottlings. We're hoping to expand that, but you know, here we are getting close to Christmas, so it may not be until after the first of the year where you will see us get into more shops. But at the very least, those three shops will give you what you need. Well, and even you know, speaking about the difficulty of A, getting in, and then B, keeping it available, we our Kalila finally made it to a small corner of Canada. Uh, we, we got some Kalila into Montreal. In Quebec. Yeah, in Quebec. And And it sold out immediately. Immediately. Uh, Within the day. It was in and out and gone. That's it. So we're we're in discussions now with our distributor in Montreal about getting some more of our whiskey over there. We're going to start preliminary conversations with potentially a new distributor in Alberta. So we shall see there, and you know we we continue to talk with other countries. I don't I don't want to give away the ghost, but we we have some irons in the fire, and and we're just so excited to be spreading the single cast nation love about. Yep, Jess is working incredibly hard behind that the scenes. She that she is trying to trying to get our whiskeys out to to more countries, and by extension to more people. And it takes time, and we're building it, yep. and she is building it. That she is, doing a damn fine job at it as well. So indeed, I think this concludes the news. That does. I, I think if I think if a new segment can conclude with positive words about Jess, I think that's the right way to conclude the news segment. I think you're right, Jason. I think you're right. Before we get out of here, Jason. Because we don't, we don't have, we, well, we have emails, but I don't want to bring them up in, in this episode because we're getting really close to our mailbag episode, which, which comes mid-February. Looking um, forward to it, as always. As always. Uh, what we're doing now, so we're going to hold off on, on emails until the mailbag episode. So what we're going to do now is we're going to let you know we're collecting questions, comments, what have you, for the mailbag episode. A deadline, should you want to get your question in for that episode, the deadline is the 30th of January. And if you wish to send us an email, you could do so, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could also send us private messages through through Facebook. Just check out One Nation Under Whiskey. Check it out there. and You can always DM us on Twitter, but... To be quite yeah. honest, it's Twitter. You don't, you don't need to be there. You really don't. Best not to. Best not to. There's also the direct messaging for One Nation Under Whiskey on Instagram, just There's like Cameron it. used. Mm-hmm. And then finally, if you, if you want to put pen to paper, though having said that, the U.S. Postal Service is in friggin' shambles right now. But if you Shambles mail it now, correct word. <laughs> if you put if you put pen to paper and send your question off to One Nation Under Whiskey or J and J Spirits or Single Cask Nation, 
to P.O. Box 335, Guilford, Connecticut. That's G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D, Connecticut. CT is the state code. 06437. If you send it within the week, there's a good chance. Uh, and by we'll the way, this is, the, this is the week of December 14th. So there's a good chance that we may see it before January 30th, 2022. So, <laughs> and, and it helps if you live in Connecticut to make yes. that a reality. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Can I say a, a little a little shout out here for a, a very good friend and a very good listener of the podcast who took time to send in some some treats for us? Yeah, our, sorry, sorry our, Jason, you you can't. <laughs> okay, well, thanks everybody. Cheerio. <laughs> our our good friends V mm-hmm. sent us some samples of some absolutely cracking, cracking whiskies. And and there was a cheeky little full bottle in there as well, which was much appreciated. I responded to let him know he'd he'd sent me a link wood. And and I said, oh, my 10-year-old will be very happy since that's my 10-year-old's favourite <laughs> distillery. Um, but the, the, the thing I wanted to say here before we get out is he sent me, sent us, uh, Glen Farkless 2009 from the, the Stillman's Dram. Mm-hmm. And what was striking to me in sticking my nose into the sample, it smells just like standing in the Glen Farkless warehouse. I know the exact smell you're talking about. Just yep. absolutely yep. wonderful. And, yep. and, you know, just as we're talking to Dave about place and people, mm-hmm. sticking my nose in that glass transported me to that warehouse, but also thinking of the last time we saw George and we saw Callum, mm. right? That's that I think is what Dave is talking about. That's the power of whiskey. It's That's what we're exploring with this wonderful, wonderful amber liquid. And so I just I just wanted to get that in there and to thanks V for giving me that opportunity to to be transported at this time. Well, we need to also thank Danny Saltman. Right, because this, it was Danny Saltman who, who reached out to me. He said, what's your address and what's Jason's address? We, you know, we got something we want to send out to you. And so he worked with Zvi, and here we are, uh, a, bit, a bit richer when it comes to owning whiskey. So, so we thank so, you. So I got the Linkwood from DS Taman. What did you get? I got the Kalila. So a 12-year-old Kalila. Hold on one second. Oh, I lost, lost my headphones there. For people who aren't familiar, the bottler is called D.S. Taman, and they've they've released a Linkwood and a Colila, and they've done two editions of that now, two editions that I'm aware of, at least. And they're bottled at 46% alcohol, and what, what's interesting about these is the entire line is, is kosher certified, and they're finishing the whiskey in Israeli uh, wine casks, so... This Kalila was finished in a flam uh, wine cask, which is which is pretty cool. I remember tasting edition one with Danny back in New York, either earlier this year or late last year, and it was just delicious. And so to receive this in the mail was a damn treat. It was. 
yeah, completely uh, unexpected for me. <laughs> but but whenever four delicious samples and a bottle of liquid show up on your door, that's a good day. Yeah, yep. You say yes, please, and thank you. <laughs> so, so so thanks thanks sincerely to those chaps to Svi to to Danny, wonderful, really kind. Yep, yep, very kind. You know what? I, I don't think there's any note better than that, better than a note of thanks to get us out on. We came, we saw, we conquered, and in the next episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, you and I, Joshua, have mm. the unenviable task of looking back on 2020 <laughs> and saying happy, positive things. There are plenty of happy, positive things that you and I can say. We are lucky. We're luckier than most. Yep. Was like us, damn few, and there are deed. Deed as in dead? Yeah, burn breed. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Should we get out of here? Yeah, let's get out of here. Let's go make some latkes. Oh, I love that. Chin chin. Oh, actually, I don't say that. What do I say? What do you say? I'm going to say Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Happy last night of Hanukkah to those who celebrate. Happy Kwanzaa to those who celebrate. Happy Festivus to those who celebrate. And happy whatever you find joy in to everybody else. Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa. Cheers, big ears. <laughs> That's my line. Cheers. Up your nose with a rubber hose. Up your butt with a coconut. Chin chin. <laughs>